darkness clouds your vision as your body stiffens and stops moving. All right. Well, I I, I think I'm going to listen to the enemies talking and see how much information I can get. Uh, no, I just I just told you you're petrified. You're not blinded. You're basically stoned, so you can't like hear anything. All right, all right, all right. If I can't hear them and I can't see and I can't move out of the way, then I'll lay down and try to block their path and just just be a general nuisance when they try to move around. Well, you still can't move because you're still petrified. Huh. This is a real pickle. Uh, I need to think what it is that I will do in this situation. I can give you a hand with that because you can't do anything. You're like Dwayne Johnson. You're a rock. This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about conditions and how to use them in your game. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And before we jump into our topic today, let's just take a break and say, what are conditions? Um, and, and, and what exactly are they? So in the game, it's, it's really kind of a state or maybe a status that can produce an effect on a character. And that effect is usually not a good effect. It could be good, but largely it's, it's a bad effect. Um, uh, so... Danielle, what do you kind of see as some of the different ways uh, effect could be placed on a character? Well, like you said, uh, generally effects are negative. There's very, very few of them, <laughs> like at all, that are positive. Um, but a lot of them, well, not a lot of them, but some of them can be self-imposed. Uh, so something like exhaustion from lack of rest. Say your party is, you know, deep into the adventure. They're on a time crunch or something like that, and uh, they don't want to stop and take a break. Which, you know, short rests and 5e, I know that those are pretty popular. (laughs) People (laughs) love taking those. So exhaustion might not happen that often. But if you have your players in a time crunch, um, you know, they may have to stay awake. And they could start suffering from exhaustion, which can make for a really interesting little little adventure. Another thing that could be self-imposed, and this is another, or this is like a player favorite, is invisibility. Um, yep. It counts as a condition, and people love it. Yeah, and and that's one of the uh, one of the few, if not only, positive conditions <laughs> that uh, that I think I saw when I was reading through both of the books uh, in prep for this episode. Uh, but other effects could be caused by, for instance, a magical effect. So if you think of things like uh, being blinded, charmed, petrified. Um, and anything like that, uh, you could potentially cause by a magical effect. And some of those effects, uh, you'll have characters that are that are immune to them. I'm thinking like elves and charm, um, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and some things that are more susceptible to them, like dinosaurs uh, with petrification. Yep. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, another thing is it could be caused by the action of an enemy, right? So it's not... So, like the magical effects, those can be from from enemies, um, but very specifically, like non magically, uh, you can be grappled. That's that's a popular one, uh, yep. or incapacitated, poisoned. You know, like poor Snow White stuff like that. 
<laughs> well, and I also think back to our uh, our last episode where we were talking about our favorite monsters, and the cockatrice had a. It wasn't magic that it was casting, but it had an effect where it could petrify the the uh, characters if it got a successful hit and they failed a saving throw and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we have talked about um, various different effects before or conditions, sorry. Um, and yeah, so then this time we're just going to like kind of dig in a little bit more about uh, the different ones. Yeah, and and when we talk about these conditions, there's a number of things broadly that they can do to players. Uh, first off, they could cause a player to have advantage or disadvantage on certain roles. Uh, if you're playing D&D or if you're in Pathfinder, you could have uh, penalties on roles or you could have things like uh, removing your dex bonus from your AC, stuff like that. So uh, there, there's there's different ways that they could affect you uh, from that perspective. Um, they could also do things like restrict your movement or or um, or prevent your movement. So they could make you slow down. They could make you not be able to move at all. Um, they could make you not be able to take certain actions. And then, of course, um, within uh, within Pathfinder, you can have things that will make you take additional damage. I'm thinking like the, the bleeding condition. Uh, I believe poison condition will also make you take additional damage, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I think 3.5 used to have stuff like that. I haven't encountered uh, things that continue to damage you uh in the effects of 5e though so um but i I do where i see that happening is not necessarily a specific of the condition itself but the Mm -hmm. effect that caused the condition so if somebody Uh, gets uh gets poisoned then the poison may continue to do damage but the but the poisoned condition um, causes the player a disadvantage on certain types of rolls, so it doesn't cause them the damage. the The initial poison does, um, so it's a it's a little bit of a distinction, but but it is something important to remember that the conditions in D anD D largely are not going to do damage to players. They're really just going to have effects on what they can and can't do, or how well they can and can't do them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that damage can come in the form of uh, ability score damage. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like you were talking with the, I can't remember if it was the Pathfinder cockatrice or the yep. D&D cockatrice. Was it? Who caused damage to your dexterity over time? Yeah, um, it was the, the Pathfinder one. The Chaos Beast uh, does damage to your uh, wisdom score over time. <laughs> Ooh, making you less wise. That's frightening. <clears throat> it does. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's actually pretty hilarious. Um, so, so why would somebody want to use these conditions? Uh, well, it provides another way to challenge your players, right? Because that's, that's basically what we do. Um, we set up I'd like to, I like to think of it as like a problem-solving think tank. That's pretty, basically mm-hmm. all the D&D is, is I come up with problems and my think tank tries to solve them while rolling dice. Um, and so this just adds another way that you can challenge your players. Uh, and I sometimes hear some people say that uh, or players complain or DMs complain that their players aren't challenged enough. And so you can you can add in some of these conditions, which are normal and easy to use once you learn the rules for them. And uh, and they can really up the the difficulty rating of your combat. Yep, and, and I, I I've seen much the same thing where I'll I'll see DMs say, "Oh, combat in Five E is so easy, and players just roll through this stuff, and 
they don't have a challenge there. And we've talked, we talk on every, every episode of, of My Favorite Monster about techniques that you can use these monsters as far as uh, as far as tactics and ways that that not only make sense for the monster but can make them more challenging for the players um, this is this is kind of an addition to that if you're not using conditions uh, as part of combat and you're saying combat's too easy this may be one of the reasons why uh, it may not be the only reason but uh, but applying conditions where they make sense uh, based upon an effect that a creature has or a spell or environmental characteristics, um, it really can add that layer that makes the players have to think a little bit more about how they're going to approach this particular combat situation. Mm -hmm. And some conditions will last like beyond battle, right? And so it it doesn't have to just be something that's going to increase the difficulty rating of a, of a fight per se or a battle, um, but it can increase the general difficulty rating of, you know, what your players are up to. Because maybe they're like, hey, you know what, we're just going to hop over here, we're going to climb that wall, we're going to jump in there, but now one of our players is a statue, and we <laughs> can no longer climb this wall with a statue. We're going to have to find a different way into the city or something like that, right? Or we're going to totally have to change plans and go get our statue friend healed by some local healer in this town and it's going to take us way off track of what we initially planned on doing mm-hmm. um, um or maybe somebody is poisoned and and so as a as a result they want to wait until this person recovers from the poison or whatever that may be uh it, it can really in addition to having an effect on combat it can change how the players have to approach the game in general mm-hmm yeah, and and you can even use some of these conditions to launch into other little side quests, um, like with poisoned. Right, you could have your mm-hmm. players need to go find the antidote. Um, yep, stuff like that. Uh, otherwise, I, I I think that a lot of people don't use. Well, I'm not sure if people do. I don't want to kind of lump everybody into the same thing here. But <clears throat> from my experience, not a lot of people use conditions that often. And yeah. I think in a lot of ways, it it goes largely to the fact that it is something extra to track. Like when you when you get down to it, you're a DM, you're sitting behind your screen and you look at all of the things that you're already tracking and like literally every other person creature in the world is your problem. <laughs> you know? And it's like, but now this person's sleepy. It's like, oh, that's that's just more stuff on your plate. Um you know, yeah, and, <laughs> and when you've got multiple characters that, and and even maybe multiple monsters that have a condition, it just it, it adds up. And like, maybe they all have conditions, but they don't all line up when they end. So you having to track like not only just like this person is sleepy and this person is charmed and this person is blinded. Um, you're also having to track how long they they have those conditions for, because as soon as it's up, your players are going to be like. Hey, why are you still penalizing me? Or what's more likely to happen is <laughs> you're going to be fight you're going to be fighting and the player will be like, "Well, hey, I'm supposed to have advantage against that thing because it's blinded, deafened, whatever, and you didn't give me that because well, frankly, I forgot." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tracking that I that's kind of how I've <clears throat> I I I try not to, but I found a lot of times when I was doing conditions before, because now I, do, I use Roll20, but before it would, uh, my tracking 
was when people rem- reminded me. <laughs> it's like, they, they, shouldn't that be over by now? It's like, oh, yes, good call. This is the first round. You nailed it. Good How work. many times have you, you reminded me of that? That's actually what my timer is. The number of times yeah. I've been reminded by the players. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And uh, the other one is like, so it is something extra to track. Um, but there could be people out there who just aren't aware of the existence of the conditions. Um, you know, the the player's handbook, the Dungeon Master Guide, they're big books. And it's it's not uh, it's not something that every person does just sit down and read the books cover to cover and then remember everything that they've read in them on the first go round. Yeah, I mean and if you think about it, so in in the the D&D player's handbook, conditions are covered back on page 290. That's near the end of the book. I think there's maybe <laughs> a couple of appendixes after it before and, and the and the uh, and the index before it wraps the book up. So if you're not really just focused on going cover to cover with this thing, it's easy to, to miss it. And, and likewise, in the Pathfinder book, it's on page 565. And I, I want to say wow. that there are four pages. Uh, until No, there are one, two pages until you get to the uh, blank character sheet, <laughs> which is really the, the end of the book. So... Uh, it's it's easy to to not be aware of it unless you have a player that that is saying, well, why is he not blinded? Why is he not this? And I, I think that if if you haven't been very on top of the book, it, that can lead to situations where DMs might be like, I I don't know, is he blinded? All right, well, if he's blinded, what I what I got to do here? I'll just make up some rules because I'm not aware <laughs> of these conditions that are in the very back end of the book. And and so you end up with this this situation and uh, I'm kind of letting this get away from me at this point, but that that's <laughs> o- okay. Um just I, again, I think one of the reasons people don't use them is is because they aren't aware of them. They're in the they're tucked away in the back of the book, and if you don't need them, you haven't looked for them. Well, and that's that's basically how I encountered conditions to start with when I first started DMing. Was I wasn't really aware of the condition until somebody needed to know the rule, and it's yep. like, oh, okay, let's try to find this thing. And then, so the follow up to that is whether people do or do not know that they exist. Some of the rules can actually be a little bit complicated. Um, as far as how they interact with each other, like interpreting them, interpreting them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not, it felt weird when it, I don't know if that I said it wrong. I don't know. But uh, some some of the rules can be complicated. <clears throat> I know for myself, uh, grapple um, coming from 3.5 to 5e, um, the rules are just different enough that I was looking for it to be a certain way and it wasn't. And uh and so I needed to put extra time and effort while not trying to run a game. <laughs> That's the key <laughs> point. While not trying to run a game to kind of wrap my brain around it, you know? Well, and to that that grappled effect, when you talked about 3.5, and it's the same way in Pathfinder. There is a, if you search for grappling and pathfinder there are flow charts that go through how grappling works so really you you yeah i mean i i believe it's for three five as well it is it is not just a straightforward you roll the dice hey we're good to go um <laughs> there is a process and a flow chart that's associated with it and 
to 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 be totally frank, if you asked me to do it right now, I would have to go and look it up because my players don't get into a whole lot of grappling with uh, with their enemies, so it's not something that I do on a daily basis. I would have I would literally have to go look it up if we got <laughs> into that situation. I have a player that grapples everything. Most recently, a Canadian goose. Um, it, like yeah. in real life, or well, I, <laughs> not in real life. In in game, it's uh, okay. You said Canadian goose, and I yeah. just like I I just thought maybe it was in real life. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's a fair fair guess. But I'm I'm doing a little bit of a time jump campaign right now. But so I put a I put a goose in there, and and they just he just grabs everything, right? Uh, so it's it's one of those things that you never know when you're going to get a player who's going to rely on these conditions, and you're going to need to learn them or know yep. them. Uh, so let's kind of dig into how to track these different conditions because there are a lot of them. And especially, it, it, like, it's one thing if you're dealing with one condition throughout the entire party. So a spell that's cast and everybody is, you know, feeling a little bit squeamish for the next three rounds, that's pretty easy to track. But you can have different conditions on all of your different party members and multiple different ones. So, yeah, that can get a little bit complicated. Yep. And so when you start talking about tracking, there there are several ways that you can approach it. And, and we'll just start with the super simplest, probably longest used uh, way to do it. Just pen and paper. You, <laughs> you write down the, the character's name and then you write down next to it um, what condition that they might have and what the term of it is. And this is where it becomes a little bit more complicated because as time goes by, you'll need to go down and adjust how much time is left so that you understand when it's done. Um, which again, for, for most of these, that is the biggest challenge. It's not understanding what conditions are on there, though that can be a challenge. It's understanding when they're done. Um, Mm -hmm. so, Pen and paper, you can do that. You just have to, you do have to be diligent there. Um, likewise, you can do like condition tokens if you're using, uh, if you're using miniatures on uh, uh, physical miniatures on a, on a map or something like that. There are some people that will, um, some people sell them, but you could also very easily 3D print your own condition tokens that kind of go around the base of the, of the mini that will say what condition it has. Um, Again, you do have to make sure that you're tracking the number of turns you have left, but at least you have a visible marker on the board that tells you, oh, when I'm looking at that, I can definitely see, I don't have to look at this piece of paper, I just look at the map and everybody sees that this person is blinded. <laughs> um, and then you you can kind of hopefully rely upon some of the uh, the more rules-savvy players to to police that sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there, there's, there are some pretty fancy condition tokens that you can buy yep. um, to add to your collection. If, if you like um, spending money on, a, on that kind of stuff, right? If you uh, like the, spending the, money on D&D stuff. I mean, we're talking about people <laughs> that play D&D, right? <laughs> I, ha- I don't think I've met someone yet. Well, that's not true. I know one person who I don't think... He's ever spent more than the $3 binder that he bought and the paper he put in it um, oh. and the books. Yeah. And he just, but myself, like I, I have shelves, I have shelves of things. Um, but, it, and then COVID, right? So I don't get to use all my shelves of things. <laughs> um, I use Roll20, which is online. Uh, and so 
the bonus to using Roll20, though, is that it's built in to have condition markers. There's a bunch of little icons that you can stick on players and little colored orbs to track turns and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that's that's what I use. It's it's straightforward. Everybody can see it. But that's on Roll20. That doesn't really help when you're playing in real life. You know? So when you when you use it on Roll20, when you add a condition there, this is something that I, while I use Roll20, I haven't, I will say I'm not a power user of Roll20. <laughs> um, when you add a condition, can you say it's this many turns and as long as you've got them in initiative turn order, it will decrement that or is it is that a manual process? I, I do it manually. Um, when okay. you click on the character, there's little options for icons and uh, I'll just pick a picture an icon that kind of looks like what i'm going for and then i use the little colored orbs above it to denote how many rounds it is that's just what okay. i do um yeah all right good to know i i, I wasn't sure if <laughs> like it'd be kind of cool if you could tie it to the initiative tracker and then as you go through the initiative it's oh, like I, oh hey it's his turn again so this goes down by one kind of thing i bet you dollars to donuts there's a macro out there for it somewhere yeah, if only I weren't so lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't understand computers good enough to do it. <laughs> so I use the little pictures. So uh, another way that you can you can track this stuff is leave it up to the players, which you'll have mixed results, let's be honest, because <laughs> because in a lot of these cases the um the the condition that that is on the player is going to be negative to them and relying upon them to to track that negative impact uh, might not be so great. On the other hand, if somebody's honest about that negativity, they'll be really on the ball with tracking when it's expired and and let you know, hey, by the way, this is expired. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're not going to miss a round. They're not going to be like, oh, was that last round I could finally do something with my character? Oh, I'm so sorry. I missed that. No, they're, they're like, no, this is my turn. I can finally do something. Um, but what I like to do when I was playing in real life... Um, uh, IRL. I uh, I just I'm I'm a dice goblin. That's what uh, I saw a post a meme once. And dice goblins, they have a lot of dice, and so I've got bags of them. And uh, when I assign a condition to somebody, I'll just hand them X amount of dice for however many rounds it is, and then each time it's their turn, they just give me a die back. Uh, so if it's going to be six rounds, they get six die. Every time it's their turn, I get one back. And when they don't have any more die, then they are no longer deaf. So you got to be careful about that if you give them die that like the players are really interested in and be like I'm I'm okay with this condition for a little while I'm just going to pocket these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the other thing that they could do. They if you're not tracking the die, they could actually just like pocket four of them if you handed them ten, and uh, pretend that the condition is over earlier. Um, <laughs> but I I would really hope that uh, that most players aren't so so bent on winning um that they're just going to flagrantly cheat <laughs> because it's yeah just... I, I will say that i don't know that i've ever really maybe once in 30 years I, I have i ever encountered somebody that i would expect to do something like that by and large most of the people i've played with they're they're like they're there to play a game and and they realize that that if they cheat they're really just cheating themselves so. Well, yeah, you're cheating at something that's imaginary. <laughs> What's right. the point? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the only downfall to that is that I lose dice. And that's, you know, it's like, hey, those are my dice. Um, <laughs> Do you like quests? If so, I have good news for you. 
Darkwind, the sponsor of this episode of Becoming DM, is full of quests for your character to pursue. Whether it's finding the components to make a potion, dealing with the town bully, assembling an ancient artifact, or just finding a collar for the local stray, there are a lot of quests to check out. And they're all ranked by level, so you know what you're getting into before you start off. You can play Darkwind and check out all of the quests for free. Just go to play.darkwind.org to start your character today. Now let's get back to the show. So let's maybe drill down into some of these conditions that we've been talking about. We've been talking kind of high level at... Of, of why to use it, why not to use it, and how to track them. Let's maybe talk about, uh, maybe not like at a super, super granular level, but but at a, a deeper level about what these conditions are. And when we were talking about this earlier, we kind of decided to, rather than talk about each individual condition, because there's a lot, if you, if you, if you just looked at D and D, there's there's a good number. But if you look at Pathfinder, there's even more than that good number. Uh, so we could we could probably spend five episodes just talking about the individual conditions. Um, so what we did was we broke them up into one of a handful of categories, and we'll just go through those categories and kind of talk at a high level. And we might pick out one or two conditions as we talk through them to to drill down into. Mm-hmm. So I, I will let you uh, get us k- kicked off, Danielle. All right, so the first condition category um, <laughs> is conditions that impact the senses. So in this one, we just stuck uh, uh, blinded and deafened. Um, mm-hmm. So your sight and your hearing and stuff like that. So the impact of these is you'll automatically fail checks for the sense that it affects. Uh, for instance, automatically failing ability that requires sight. So if, if the ability is to dodge a fist flying at your face and you cannot see it, um, you're probably going to fail that check because you can't see it. Well, so with uh, with an attack against you, um, there are some specific rules there. So since we're talking a little bit about blinded, um, if you are blinded, attack rolls against you within D&D are at advantage. So mm-hmm. the, the enemy rolls advantage to try to hit you. <laughs> within Pathfinder, you have, uh, I'm not going to remember the exact, you, you're denied your dex bonus. And I believe you also have a negative four to your AC on top of that. So um, so while it's not a guaranteed hit, it's a lot more likely to hit than uh, than otherwise. Yeah, they could accidentally stumble out of the way, right? And so that's why it's advantage <laughs> and not a guaranteed hit. That's that's how I think about it, anyways. Yeah, um, yeah. But you can use these. You can use blinded and deafened to just make simple combat more more challenging. You know, it's like combat is. It can be you know x amount of difficult. But if you are also blind and trying to defend yourself, well, that 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 by default makes it more difficult. Yeah, one way that I like to use. Um, um, senses. I, I, I sometimes I'll, I'll take a look at um, at competition shows or reality shows and and look at some of the challenges that 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 they throw up there. I I think it's just fun to do. And there are some where they'll have people that are blindfolded and they'll have a collar that has to help people navigate like through a maze or something like that. And so I, I like the concept of having 
where maybe some of the party is blind and this wouldn't necessarily be combat, but they have to navigate through some area and they're and they're separated for whatever reason. And the uh, non-blind person can see and call, but they're not there with them. And you can do some interesting things with your game to make this work. Uh, if you're playing in person, then it's a little, honestly, it's a little bit harder if you're playing in person because you as the DM kind of have to shuffle between two rooms, but you could have basically this, um, the, the seeing people in one room and you go to them and you kind of explain what's happening and then they can call out to the non-seeing people and you, you go into there and they can kind of tell you what they want to do, um, and, and make, and see if they interpret the stuff appropriately. Um, so online you can do it where you basically have little breakout rooms and if you're using like a zoom or webex or something like that you can make breakout rooms and have each each group in in a different breakout room and do the same sort of thing and just switch back and forth between those rooms um (laughs) it it makes for an interesting problem solving thing because um and and normally i wouldn't do just navigate a maze normally i would have have like some sort of maybe a mechanical puzzle where they had to figure out how, how to, to turn, twist, type, whatever things in, um, where, where it, it requires a little bit more explanation than just saying, go 10 feet and then turn left. <laughs> yeah, you could, uh, you could, I'm sorry, as you started talking and my brain just was like super excited about that. I, I want to find a way to do that <laughs> in a game and I've just... I just, my brain's on a tangent. So I'm going to come back. I'm going to move on saying, uh, <laughs> talking about blindness and deafness uh, can be caused during combat from environmental conditions. So this is one that I really like to do uh, because it's it's super intuitive, but because the game is make-believe, people will just like, just ignore it until you say it. And, and then they're mm-hmm. just like, oh, I can't believe that this just happened. But they won't argue with you about it because it makes complete sense. But it characters out in like a sandstorm. It's like, well, you know, whatever. And they want to go fight in it. Or um, most recently I had a party member um, getting into like this creature came out of like the sand. So it was like just covered in sand. And uh, they, they chose to grapple it. Well, the creature ended up on top of them and they smacked it on the head and all the sand fell off into his eyes. It's like, well, now you're blinded because it was covered in sand. You knew that. It's on top of you, and you shook off a bunch of the sand onto your face. <laughs> and so <laughs> different condition, diff- different environmental scenarios can cause these. You can have something with a really loud noise that can cause deafness or even complete deafness during a battle, right? So you could have your players in a combat scenario in a really, really loud environment, where nobody's going to be able to hear anything. And that's going to affect uh, certain spells if they have um, a verbal component, mm-hmm. I think, maybe. It depends. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, I, I think by the rules of deafened, it doesn't necessarily do that because it, it just, well, deafened, just talks like, about yeah. Yeah, ability check that requires hearing. And I, you could you could make the argument if you really tried hard that you can still speak without hearing. Yes, you would probably um, either speak really loud or or in real <laughs> odd intonations um, if you're a hearing person that lost their their hearing. Um, but yeah, it, rules is written. It doesn't really say anything about not being able to cast spells that have the verbal component. But you could, 
I, as the DM, you could kind of adjudicate either way, depending upon the situation. Yeah, I was going to say, it would really depend on what spell you were doing. Because if the spell is something that needs it to be heard by the, the thing, whatever it is, then it would matter. Right. But if it's just Absolutely. something that you're doing, then maybe not. I, I don't know. Because, um, yeah, otherwise you would still technically be speaking it. Anywho. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I like the environmental conditions. I love putting those in. Um, yeah, and it's interesting to think them. about, about like, when you think about blindness, a lot of people just think about it as the loss of sight rather than what you just described, which is the obscured, uh, obscuring the ability to see with things like a sandstorm and stuff like that. So um, I, I, I like that kind of method of thought because you are still technically having your, your sight restricted. So it's, it's an interesting thing to, to keep in mind is that it's not always just your eyes are damaged or whatever. It could be something else. Yeah, not always magic. I know it's rare, but it's not always magic. <laughs> um, so, uh, so condition group number two, I can't remember the fun name I came up with the first one. Condition group number two <laughs> is uh, is stuff that restricts movement, which was a surprising amount of them. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> a lot. Um, so, also, I mean, just to just to kind of go high level through the list, you've got mm-hmm. grappled, you've got incapacitated, paralyzed, petri- petrified, prone, restrained, stunned, unconscious. And I mean, I know you could you could say unconscious <clears throat> could be maybe somewhere else, but it does restrict your movement that you're unconscious. So <laughs> we put it there. <laughs> it sure does. I uh, well, you know, unless you're a sleepwalker and then. You know, but in a large sense, once you're unconscious, you're not uh, you're not roaming around. Um, one little note that I do want to make about because you had mentioned petrified, it does restrict movement. Um, just a really, really interesting little factoid is if you read in five e the descriptor of the condition of petrified, all like the character and all of the non magical items that they are wearing become stoned with them. This is really important to note, because if that character is carrying a magical sword or wearing a magical cloak or or any of that stuff, it does not get turned into stone with that character. Hmm. So they just become a statue wearing a free cape. A free magic cape. A free magical cape. (laughs) (laughs) A free, please don't steal that from me, cape. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, if you have intelligent enemies that are maybe casting spells to petrify you, they could take advantage of this because they understand that's going to happen. That That is true. Most spellcasters have, have an idea about what their spell is going to do, especially if they use it <laughs> relatively often. And they might specifically cast that spell on somebody who's using equipment that, that is magical or looks magical or has been having a magical effect. They might be like, oh, cool. Well, I'll just turn you into a rock and I'll steal your fancy thing. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, we talked a little bit, bit about grappled here. Um, um, that's I, I think that that's one that you'll probably potentially run into a fair amount, unless you have players like mine. Uh, in which case, that's fine. <laughs> uh, prone is probably I think the one that 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 probably should be used the most because mm-hmm. people can be knocked prone. They can be attacked while they're while they're sleeping laying down you could fall and hit the ground and be knocked prone Um, and a lot of monsters have the ability to to knock folks prone as well so um 
a couple, just a couple things since we're we're drilling down into one or two here. Uh, when you talk about prone, you're um, the the prone creature basically is you can only crawl. Um, unless you choose to stand up, and if you ch- choose to stand up and, and you're able to stand up, then um, that ends the condition. But it does take uh, it does take movement to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're prone, you have disadvantage. Talking about D and D now, uh, disadvantage on attack rolls, and an attack roll against the prone creature has advantage um, if the attacker is within five feet of the creature. Otherwise, it has disadvantages. So th- those ranged attacks will have disadvantage on a prone creature. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Also really handy for uh, sometimes I will um, put things in place where my characters have to go prone to get through a certain area. And so you'll get these high-level characters who are all that in a bag of chips. Not that high, obviously. but um, And then they're crawling through this enclosed space and all of a sudden there's big rats in there. You know, and if they were standing in a well-lit room, these rats would be like, you know, just squish them. That's fine. But (laughs) when they're squeezed into a tight space and they can't move and there's advantage on attacks on them and they have disadvantage on attacks, rats (laughs) rats can get pretty exciting pretty fast. Um, When they start like freaking out, they're like, no, I'm such a cool adventurer. I cannot die in this hole from a rat. (laughs) I can't die from rat bites. (laughs) (laughs) This is not how, how my epitaph is going to read. Uh, yeah, so, and, and so before we move on from from prone, I'll just kind of also uh, mm-hmm. kind of share the the Pathfinder equivalent prone. Um, oh yeah, where you basically get a a minus four on on your melee attack rolls. Ranged attacks against you are um, are minus four and um, plus four for or. Uh, plus four, or actually, technically, your AC is minus four against melee attack. So, however you want to look at that. And yeah. standing up is a move equivalent action that promote provoke provokes an attack of opportunity. So, if you're standing next to somebody and you try to stand up, then they can attack you with their uh, their attack of opportunity there. Oh yeah, absolutely. The only time that I've ever bypassed that rule is making somebody have an athletics check, because if you've ever tried to get up from laying down on the floor. Um, it's, it's, it's not graceful. Like it's like, unless you are a gymnast and can do like that feet up, flip up, and even still somebody could smack you while you're doing that. Um, you know, so it's provoking attack of opportunity. Uh, but yeah, so anything like all these conditions are something that are going to make it so that unable to move or just reducing their ability to move. So like with prone, you have to crawl petrified, you're a rock. Um, with grappled in 5e, uh, your, your, your movement is restricted. Um, technically, the person who's grappling you can drag you at half speed. So I'm assuming that if somebody's holding on to you, you could also versus drag them at half speed. Because if they can pull well, me, then I can if, pull them. If, if you are grappled, that means that somebody basically has you wrapped up. And well, if you are grappled, then your speed becomes zero. Their speed does not because they're the ones that are, like, in control of the situation, basically. I I guess, yeah, because your speed <laughs> becomes zero. And I just – and see, that, that grappled frustrates me with 5e. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> I – I, I I take issue with how it how it's all done, but that's that's a me thing. Um, yep. So, so how could you use all these different things in a game? Um, well, they could be caused by say magic, or by somebody with higher physical stats or special abilities. 
um, that can try and restrain the character. So like with, with your grapple, you restrain, um, those can be just a bigger thing grabbing you, right? Uh, incapacitated yep. or unconscious, that could be somebody knocking you out or, or whatever. Uh, or otherwise reducing your movement, like with poisons or paralytics and stuff like that, they can paralyze you, petrify you, um, all the, all the various things that can, that can happen. And when you've caused somebody to reduce their movement, I guess I kind of spoke to this a little bit before about the rats, right? When you trap somebody, um, of their own volition, I will add, they chose to go into that hole. They didn't know it was full of rats, but they still chose to do it. And so you can have a lot of fun by using some of these, um, like restrained characters, you know, maybe they've been captured, they're tied to chairs, so they're restrained. They can't really do that much. But you can set up a scenario where they have to deal with that condition effect and succeed at um, the quest or the problem or whatever you've put before them. Yeah, and I think with any of these conditions, really it's 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 a matter of of I like to say like putting on a different lens where they have to they have to look at a problem a different way and go about solving it in a different way than they normally would because because the normal way is not available to them whether it's because they're restrained or they're afraid of whatever's happening or or whatever um the 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 situation has changed and they have to solve it a different way. Mm-hmm. So thinking of different situations, another thing that you can use uh, as far as changing the lens, like you can use this to build tension. So I'm going to go with a famous scene from uh, Indiana Jones, right? The 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 boulder that's rolling down. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty easy. Everybody just has to run away from it. We all know what our movement speed is. So that's going to be, it's like, okay, if I'm <laughs> and this we know that the boulder is moving that, at this many feet. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, and there's no stress to it. But if you happen to restrain a party member in the pathway of that boulder, now Indiana Jones himself didn't have access to magic, I don't think. So, if, but you do probably. Um, and so and you can, if you open up the Ark of the Covenant <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you can just make people think about different ways to solve a problem. Cause if you start with that boulder rolling thing, everyone's going to be like, ah, oh, okay, we know how this plays out, but then somebody's foot gets trapped. That's going to immediately yeah. change that situation and it's going to just kind of ramp it up a little bit. Yeah, and and when you when you do when you do have especially if it's like one or two members of the party, then the rest of the party has to adjust what they're doing too because they either have to work around that effect that's on the on the PC or work to uh, or work against the effect. Uh, so, like you said, if they're if their foot stuck, they could spend their turn trying to help the foot get unstuck which mm-hmm. means the boulder gets closer and closer um, and, and maybe gets too close. So they could decide, well, it's not, their foot's not that important to me. I'm out of <laughs> here, uh, depending upon the player that you have. <laughs> yeah. It's like our cleric's a high enough level. I'm just going to chop your foot off and we'll fix it later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. Some solutions that parties can come up with can get pretty interesting, especially when you throw complicated uh, stuff at them. Yep. <laughs> so moving on, the next kind of subsection of, of conditions are really going to be the conditions that impact actions. 
And by impact actions, that could be anything like preventing you from taking an action or or restricting the actions that you can take with regards to certain things or or just um, um, causing you to roll lower when you take actions. So when we talk about this category, we're talking about things like charmed, frightened, poisoned, exhausted, confused, nauseated. Um, and those last two are, are Pathfinder specific. Um, there's a lot of Pathfinder specific ones. Those are just the two that I happen to pick out to, to highlight uh, in the episode. Um, I I think that maybe we need to spend a moment on Charmed. And, and <laughs> when we were when we were discussing this episode earlier, uh, dear listeners, uh, we were we were talking about Charmed and the the misconception that some players have about what Charmed actually does. And, and Danielle, you, you kind of brought this up, so I'm, I'm going to let you just kind of throw it out there. <laughs> we yeah. can dive into it some. There There is a lot of misconception around Charmed. I think people just see the word Charmed and they think of, I don't know, Prince Charming or something. And it's like, oh, well, you know, he can just swoon anybody he wants. And so that's what this spell is. I will charm you and and you will – I don't you even know how to put me. this. And yeah, you'll, you will love me, right? And that, that, is, <laughs> that is super, super not what charmed is, <laughs> right? So essentially a charmed creature can't attack the charmer. Um, so charm doesn't mean like you look at this this thing that just cast the spell on you with absolute reverence and awe and you just – you just love it. That's no. You just look at it and you're like, ah, you know what? I probably shouldn't hit that. You know, just like <laughs> it's like I'm charmed with cheese. I'm not going to throw it against a wall, um, but I don't love it. That's not true. I do love cheese, but uh, <laughs> that's not where I was going with this. <laughs> not in that um, way. Not in that not way. In, not in that way. No. Um, but uh, <clears throat> but yeah. So it's you're not casting it. It's not a love potion. You know, charmed isn't yeah. a love potion. You're basically just. Getting into their head, like with this, with a charmed spell, you're getting into their head and saying, hey, I'm not threatening. You don't need to worry about me. I'm not part of your problem. Right. And yeah. And it, and you mentioned already that it can, it can prevent somebody from being able to attack someone, but it also can prevent the charm, charmer, uh, to be able to, uh, more easily convince the charmee to do something. So, um, in D&D, that equates to having an advantage on those social checks. In Pathfinder, I believe it's a it's a bonus. If I had to guess, it would be plus four, but I, I don't have it right in front, in front of me. But mm-hmm. um, that's going to be my guess. Also, as, as, can... to speak to what you were just saying, it's, yeah, to in those social things. And so anytime that you're trying to convince somebody to do something, um, there's a DC check that you have to make, Right. It's so if I'm trying to convince John to record a podcast, right, that there's a DC of five, it's pretty easy to do, right? Maybe he's busy, but it's pretty easy to do. But if I'm trying to convince, you know, Holly, this other person to hop off a cliff, uh, she's not going to want to do that. And so the DC is actually going to be like 40 because that is directly against everything. They're not, it's going to be so hard to do. So, with Charmed, though, when you have somebody who is actively hostile towards you, um, that DC is going to go up when you want them to be nice to you. It's like, just stop yelling at me and buy me a sandwich. That DC is still going to be like 30 because they hate you. Um, but if you charm them and they no longer are seeing you as a threat or fighting with you, and then you want to be like, 
yo, about that sandwich. You know, that lowers the DC. <laughs> I'm still waiting on that sandwich. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it it doesn't just mean like you cast a charm on this person and now they're your servant until the spell ends, right? Yeah. So just a bit of clarification on that. <laughs> The the other one of these conditions that I do wanna I do wanna highlight is the frightened condition and and I, I wanna highlight it because I know that there have been several folks that I have talked to over the years who are really interested in running a a horror style campaign. And if you mm-hmm. are, then then frightened can really be one of your friends. Um if if you're running in, in Pathfinder, there's a couple more in addition to Frightened that you'll that you'll want to uh to uh um check out like cowering um i'm not going to remember all of them so i'm just going to stick with cowering and frightened and frightened (laughs) really is gonna is going to um make you afraid of a of of something that's within sight and if you're within sight you get you basically have disadvantage on ability checks and attack rolls while it's in sight and you can't willingly move closer to the source of 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 the fear and Again, if you're doing a, a horror-style campaign, this can be really kind of help you set the mood. And, and so that's really the reason I wanted to highlight it is for those people who who want to do that style of campaign. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think one thing that I just really want to note right now is that um, with a lot of this, we've talked about different magical effects that can happen. But when you're talking about frightened, that doesn't need to be a magical effect. You don't need to right, have some right. some dragon who's casting f- or who's fire breathing or whatever frightens as a condition effect. Things can cause almost all of these effects. I mean, some of them not. You're not just going to happen upon invisibility, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> going to be magic. <laughs> you know? But... Um, your character can be frightened, the condition, without a magical effect, right? So they walk into a scary thing and you're like, your characters feel uneasy. You keep describing it. Your guys, you feel your heart rate increasing. This jumps out. It scares you. You know, the stuff you guys are getting more, more tense, more tense. You are frightened, right? And that that doesn't need to come from magic. Same with exhausted right. or poisoned or uh, charmed. Eh, it Charm just be difficult. I, I think that that's that's more difficult yeah. to do. That's a bit more difficult. But I just wanted to point out that not all of these have to be done by magic. You know. Now I, I will say that if you are going to do it, that that it doesn't have a magical cause. Um, I would still have things like saving throws and stuff like that because just because you think that they would be scared does not mean that they're actually going to be scared. So have some sort of a saving throw um, and, and maybe look at some of the, like the, the spells or effects that cause those, uh, those conditions and then modify maybe the DC based upon what you're doing and have them make the same saving throw. But um, most players will probably take it personally if you just tell them, you walk in the room and you you shake in fear um, without giving them a way out. Yeah, the only time I usually do that is if somebody rolls a nat one on something, um, mm-hmm. then I just add that in as a negative effect. I've only done it like once, I think. Um, but so I, I sometimes use condition effects as results of, of nat ones instead of whatever other various things happen during them. But uh, I like to utilize them in that in that regard. Yep. 
So when we talk about impact of um, of these conditions that have an effect on actions, we kind of already described it. It, it can cause a character to be un, un, unable to perform certain actions, whether they're actions in general or actions to a particular person. So thinking back to the charmer, charmy, and how you can't attack your charmer. Um <laughs> Or they could have a, a have a character cause a character that needs to run away and and can't use their actions or have some sort of a, a negative or disadvantage on those actions when you when you do them like we talked about with frightened uh, poisoned mm-hmm. is is similar where where you can still take actions but they're at a disadvantage at least in D and D if you have that poisoned state mm-hmm. or you're just slowly losing points in Pathfinder um, <laughs> <laughs> so. There's there's so many ways to use these in a game, um, like by a spell. Well, well, like I was saying before, it, you could do it with magic, but you can also have it happen from non-magic stuff, um, like poisoned. This is something that doesn't necessarily have to come from magic, and this one should be pretty easy to do. It doesn't need to be, you know, a witch showing up at Snow White's dwarven home and <laughs> passing her an apple. Um, she could just eat a bad apple, right? You can yep. get food poisoning. I've gotten food poisoning. I'm pretty sure it wasn't from magic. It might have been. I should go back. But uh, no, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, or an effect from an enemy. So frightened, right? If you have some uh, really, really scary scenario set up. Uh, and, but like John said, use, use your um, saving throws and stuff like that. Don't just announce to somebody that they're frightened. Unless you've cast a spell and you've secretly made their saving throw for them. Yep. Well, and to that to that bad food thing, I I know that I've been on several campaigns where the players have intentionally um, eaten something that everybody at the table was like, "Oh, you shouldn't do that. That's bad for you." <laughs> so, so in that case, it's not even like punishing the players. It's like everybody knew that this was going to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think food kind of gets forgotten by a lot of people. It becomes kind of like this mundane thing from real life that that people just kind of disregard in D anD. d I like to have a lot of fun with food, especially players who will kill an animal and then just pack raw meat around with them, like yep. through the forest. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like you are attracting predators. <laughs> Your meat is going bad. <laughs> Surprise. This is the consequence of your actions. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, you got to do a little bit more than that. Um, but yeah, so the different uh, effects and stuff, they can take characters out of combat. So if you're running, you know, a, a fight or something like that, you start dropping players with, well, even petrification, like those little chicken monsters. You're fighting a chicken monster. It doesn't seem that bad until you start losing party members. <laughs> yep. And additionally, some of these effects can be um, can be um, um, self-inflicted. So we talked earlier about the party not wanting to take a rest, where uh, where either just because they want to get on with, with they want to get to the next fight, or because there's actually a time constraint, um, which I I think is actually can make things really really interesting where. Where because of one of a number of things, they can't take a rest. And as a result of that, they, they get levels of exhaustion. So uh, mm-hmm. the can't take a rest could be because of a timeline. It could be because they're traveling in an area that's very hostile that doesn't give them the opportunity to rest. Um, whatever it is, 
it can add that tension to the game that you might be looking for as your players are, are walking through the encounters that you set up. Um, as soon as they start having effects of exhaustion, they may uh, reconsider walking through all those encounters. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And the other thing that can uh, kind of encourage exhaustion is uh, different climates, right? And so if you have your party going through the frigid north, i.e. Canada, um, or like the fire plane or something like that. I.e. Texas. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um it takes it takes a lot more out of you physically to endure those kinds of climates, right? Because your body ha- is working extra to keep you warm or to keep you cold. Yep. Cool. I guess you don't ever get cold on the fire plane, do you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and so you can cause players to um, have to kind of fight against the elements. As much as it might not sound super interesting to be like, ha-ha, you're cold, uh, you can make some really interesting scenarios by having your players stuck in a blizzard and they're fighting exhaustion. And like I, like I said before, where you're making them crawl through a tight and closed space with the rats, well, now they are wildly exhausted and there's a couple of goblins, you know. Um, but their decks is so low because they're so tired and this is going to be like an actual problem for them. Yep. Yeah, it's all about adding that extra layer of, of challenge to in, in some of these cases to where it's not just a standard battle with a handful of goblins, it's now a battle with a handful of goblins. And oh, by the way, you also have your speed halved and disadvantaged on attack rolls because you're on the third level of exhaustion, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could really mess with with somebody. Yep. With your party, I guess. Yeah. So I think that's uh, primarily what we wanted to talk about today on conditions. Um, I know that there's there's conditions that we didn't specifically talk about. Um, the the book is definitely there if you wanted to drill down into what they specifically do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hopefully, this gives you an idea of how you might use them in your game, and uh, and we we wish you the best of luck. Um, but until next time, stay nerdy, friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becoming DM on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. We are becoming DM and our website is becoming DM.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.